Hi, I'm Perry Johnson, and I'm joined by my favorite colleague and co-director, Dr. Courtney Koss. We are so thrilled to have you joining us for Sounding Off, a podcast produced by The Sound of Victory, an interdisciplinary project that explores the historic relationship between music, sound, and sport. Today, we are joined by the one and only Yao Jeeves, a New York-based rapper and an active professional in the world of sports. Hello, hello, Yao. So great to have you here with us. If you've watched ESPN or NBA TV, scrolled through Twitter, or clicked on Yahoo Sports in the last eight years or so, you've probably heard his voice. This journey. This journey now culminates into this grand stage where legacies are made and your stories are already being written, so why not add another page? You've trained and strained, the results are shown. You got your game up. Put up millions of layups, thousands of J's up. The battle, the scars, the pain, and the love. There's nothing to be afraid of. They say this is what dreams are made of. For those who tuned to the New York hip hop scene, his music and visuals bring the nostalgia of classic East Coast hip hop infused with a new sound built for those who persevered through the ever changing landscape of the boroughs. Uh, my shit's splendid. Uh, I think winning. Uh, the only time losing crosses my mind when I'm wearing my Knicks fitted. He goes by Yao G's, but for those who've been on, I just call you Yao. <laughs> I have my um, original OG entry level. Like, I got the CD right here. I pulled this actually out of my car this morning. It's been in my car. It lives oh. in my car. Um, it passes the car test, if you need to know. Um, wow. I've been on the Yao G's bandwagon for years, but I'm so glad that folks around the world are getting blessed daily by your ministry. This mixtape dropped actually while we were both employees at ESPN and everyone was playing this in their car and at the house. Can you give us a bit of background on your relationship to sport first and how you ended up at ESPN? And then after that, maybe as well as how you started rapping. Sure. So for first and foremost, thank you for the, the wonderful introduction. And you kind of gave me chills when you put my first album cover up. That's like crazy. As far as sports is concerned, uh, getting the job at ESPN, I was, uh, I went to college upstate New York, uh, at a college called uh, SUNY Oswego. I studied broadcasting there. I've always been into sports. I played basketball in high school. I played baseball in high school. You know, I even played a little bit of soccer while I was in high school. So I've always, I've always loved sports, grew up loving sports. Um, I didn't play in college, but I was always involved in intramural programs that involved sports, softball programs, flag football. And I also um, did broadcasting mass media. So a lot, of the, a lot of the shows I was working on were for TV based, were all sports, sports based. You know, they were recruiting at my school somehow randomly. I gave my resume in. A few months down the line, I got an email from him. I thought it was a joke because <laughs> I was like, Where's, why is ESPN calling me seriously? But they hit me. I got a job uh, in the programming department there. And then uh, throughout the years, worked in different departments throughout ESPN, just, you know, in different, in different roles in, in production for television. So as far as rap is concerned, though, I, I, started, I probably wrote my first rap when I was like 16 or 17 always played around with it and you know when I, when I was in college you know I started to get kind of good you know doing a little, like a little freestyle battles and uh did a little shows that you know I was I was well versed amongst uh culture uh on campus so but you know when I once I got my job at uh, ESPN I kind of figured uh I would never rap again like you know once you get your dream job because ESPN if, you, if anybody get out of college your first job at ESPN you, you don't think you're gonna go anywhere else it's like this is it for you for, at least for me you know being a sports fan that I was that I, that I thought I was <laughs> um, at that time, because you realize they are true, like, there's levels to it, obviously. A couple years into the corporate scene, I was just getting frustrated with just how slow things were moving, a little bit of unfair treatment that I would, thought I was seeing, 
you know what I mean? So then I kind of just was like, need another outlet to kind of like, you know, just kind of exert some of the energy, negative energy into a positive way. So I began writing again, uh, put out a couple freestyles, turned into a couple songs. Uh, and then I decided I was going to start like really just writing songs, cause, you know. And then as you see the album that came out that Courtney put up there called Entry Level, which is uh, like, yeah, the intro introduction kind of like to my rap world. And it's kind of kind of intertwined with sports. And uh, through that, after I put the album out, you know, things were still moving slow work-wise and rap-wise because, you know, you, ha you always have these dreams of your first mixtape and it's like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing of all time. But no matter how many, how good you think it is, you got to sell it to the masses and it just, it just wasn't that, that case. But luckily, word had got around on ESPN's campus that I was doing it, uh, doing the rap thing. One of the APs at the time, associate producers, came to my edit room while I was editing and asked if I was interested in doing a spoken word piece for the NFL season. And that's how, you know, I kind of started doing the uh, NFL pieces uh, on ESPN and um, turned into a whole bunch of other things with Bleach Report and NBA TV. So I've been, I've been blessed to be able to kind of intertwine the two, my two kind of passions to kind of like bridge them together and then make some uh, dope art. Did you grow up in a musical family? Was rap part of I, what, the soundtrack of your childhood? <laughs> I did not. Uh, ironically, uh, I grew up in a, I don't want to say very religious, but my mom is, my mom is very religious. So, you know, I'm not going to say like secular music wasn't, was forbidden in our house, but it was definitely like frowned, on, frowned upon. And like, you know, I never wanted to be playing songs in front of my mother. Like when things came on the radio here and there, it was cool, but you know, I wasn't into it like that. There were times where I used to have to, my sister and I used to sneak and watch BET for Rap City before my mom got home, before she pulled up so we could change the channel and she wouldn't know we were watching. So that's, we, we got it in bits and pieces uh, probably up until the time I was like 13. And then uh, I ended up going to boarding school outside of Philadelphia and I ended up linking with a whole bunch of like cats from Philly and DC. And you know, it was all boys school. So it was kind of like, boys love hip hop. We all love hip hop. And it was just kind of like a thing that just kind of naturally happened as far as me just loving it, then eventually learning it. And then eventually learning how to, how to write raps and write songs so having this mixtape come out and then also having espn folks like outside of like your friend circle other folks that are like okay how can we incorporate this mm -hmm. how how did you feel like balancing like life in the edit bay and then also like being recognized in this way like it's almost like you have an alter ego but your alter yeah. ego also works with you you know yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's, it was it was definitely weird particularly like once the first so the, the, the name of the pieces that we did were called, was called the journey right after, I guess after the first one happened, it was really supposed to be just a one-time thing, but they loved it so much they wanted to do it for an entire season. So after the first one aired, like I'm walking around, people like higher ups are talking to me that I've never spoken to before in my life. Like I didn't even know who they are. Didn't even know. Didn't even know they knew who I was. A lot of them. Um, a lot of the anchors would Chris Carter had come out. He was like, "Oh my God, I didn't know you could do that, man!" Like homegrown talent. That's so crazy, you know. And, and, and Chris Carter and I would said hello in the hallway. But from then after that, it was kind of like you know daily conversation. The makeup lady used to talk to me daily after that all of a sudden. It was just like, you know, it was kind of, I, I don't want, I want to say I'm a, I was a celebrity, but people were starting to take notice to, as to who I was randomly, which, which wasn't the plan. You know what I mean? I, was, I wasn't like, I didn't do it for that. I just kind of did it because I could and it was like something interesting to do. And I was kind of just trying to pivot myself into doing something else at ESPN. I didn't want to be the guy that like, oh my God, you, you're the sport, you're the sports, you're the, you're the poet. Like that wasn't the, the original reason why I was doing it. So. But the balance part, you know, it was still tough because I still had a job to do, like, daily. I still had to, like, edit. I still had to be in the, the production, right? I still had to help run a, an entire sports center at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know what I mean? So um, it got tough, 
a little bit of backlash as well from uh, my from the people who people I was actually working for getting paid for. There's a lot, a lot of back and forth between that. And looking back at it, I can definitely understand what the what the hangup was. But no question, it was it was tough at times. They felt like it was distracting when you when you say their hangup. Yeah. It definitely thought it was, thought it was, it was a distraction. I'll, I'll say this: they didn't think it was a distraction at first. But once you know, there were people. A lot. Of, I was getting a lot of attention, and people were coming into my editor room to talk to me about this. And they, you know, they're asking me about the next com- coming projects. Like you know, kind of like they they didn't think I was focused enough on the job that I was actually there to do. As a, they kind of thought it was like, oh, you're more focused on, on the side project. So I did get laid off surprisingly the year a year later, which you know might have had something to do with it as well. So you know, and I, like I said, looking back, I can say that with my chest. I walked into work with trying to give my 100% every single day that I walked in there. So, um, but, you know, it, it had a challenge, there's no question. Do you think that some of that pushback that you received would be different in the context of 2020? Do you think that there has been a shift in the way that that's accepted or, or it would still sort of be seen as this like, that's cool, but it's a side project and it's actually taking away from this, this other thing that we see or value as more central? just based on the dynamic of where we are, how far we've come from there. So my, the first project I did was 2012, we're in 2020 now. I, and you know, and I'm sure Courtney can attest to this, whenever we like, we tried to pitch hip hop things or hip hop uh, oriented, you know, pieces to ESPN at the time, they weren't taken with as much seriousness as they are now. But now, if you look, everything, the whole network is hip hop based, you know what I mean? So it's like, I can see the, the same people that were in positions that, of trying to get in the door back then are the people that were that are now making the decisions in the office. Now, now those people in the C-suites that are kind of like, who kind of grew up in this era, who kind of, you know, um, were ingratiated in hip hop without even like having a choice. And it's what they know, it's what they, it's what they live. So they're definitely probably, I'll say more accepting of it. Millennials are very progressive and they understand that people are into a lot of things, you know what I mean? And like, just because you have one passion doesn't mean you can't have another. And I think people are a little more gracious about that as opposed to how it was you know when I was trying to get in I agree with that completely I think that I'm thinking about like you know 2008 to 2012 um when I'm thinking about my time at ESPN I'm thinking about the fact like Scott Van Pelt was like one of the only I know people that had radio shows that would have like hip-hop for example Mm -hmm. like going in would like identify hip-hop like identified you shouted you out like there's ways that that he was seen as this anomaly of like, oh, he likes a tribe called Quest and he kind of brings it in mm-hmm. in the intros and outros. Or, you know, he was seen as an anomaly and then there was that that pivot. And I, don't, I can't speak to directly when it was, but it was like Lil Wayne all of a sudden is on the intro to first take. And, you mm-hmm. know, all of a sudden it goes from being like, there are these peripheral figures that are brought on as figures of pop culture that might be a sports fan or we might mm-hmm. identify them as such. And then it went to being like, oh, now every time there's an NBA playoff song, we know it's, you know, there's like a way that it becomes ingrained in every genre where before it was like very much in this pop and and rock, like especially like pop Mm -hmm. rock, I should say, or like country for like, you know, NASCAR and baseball. Mm -hmm. There's ways that even the instrumentals that are used over highlights have changed over time. That's really interesting. Um, and it, it, it's completely what you're saying. It's this idea of the folks that were PAs with us are now in positions of power mm-hmm. in a different way. The folks that were APs before are now in different positions where now, you know, you have 30 for 30s that are directed by Ice Cube. You know, like there's mm-hmm. ways that 
Um, we've seen that shift happen and it's been incremental. And once they see that that's what people want to watch and see and hear, mm -hmm. um, then it's like all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to call them the fuddy duddies. Like mm -hmm. all of a sudden they have to listen to the folks that are like, no, we need to keep this fresh. We need to make sure we're speaking to like where we are cur currently culturally. Culturally. Yes, indeed. No question about it. And like, I mean, it's like I said, just, just evolution. Even, even if you look at the way people dress when they go to, go to work, like, like it's completely acceptable now to like wear sneakers with a suit. You know what I mean? As long as it looks just, it looks clean. Like I can, I can distinctly like hear my mother yelling at me at the idea of wearing sneakers at like to my graduation. She was like, "That's bushly. You're a gentleman. You shouldn't be doing stuff like that." But now, like, it wouldn't be a thing if I walked in the house with a tuxedo and a pair and a pair of J's on. You know what I mean? It's just because it's like a, it's a classy look. And it's just like I said, the evolution, the, the just the people we grew up with are now the decision makers in in, in life. So they they could do what they want, and, and that's kind of like trickle down to, to culture and the younger folks. What is it for you about hip hop as a musical genre, as a cultural form that, that makes it tied so intricately to sport? Uh, I, I wanna say, I think first and foremost, competition of it. I think rap is, hip hop has always been very competitive. Uh, you always, it's always been very braggadocious. You always, you always wanna tell somebody why you're the best or why you're better than them. It's the same thing with sports, rather. You, you always want to prove, even when, you're, even when you're at practice, you want to prove that you're better than all your teammates because so you deserve the most playing time. Competitively, I think, the two intertwine. And for whatever reason, I think the two biggest rises in both kind of happened around the same time as well. You know, with hip-hop in the 90s and basketball in the, in the 80s and 90s, it kind of just, just ascended to this point. It was just kind of like simultaneous as to why rappers want to play basketball and basketball players want to be rappers as Courtney said it's kind of like music and, and sports bridge everybody together those are the two things in life that people don't really care about race religion creed can you can you make a jump shot okay cool does it sound good if it sounds good to my ear like people don't care what they're listening who, who who's behind it they just want to hear if it's a good song or not you know what I mean so I think that that's that's the reason honestly so that's that's, that's what I'll go with as far as my answer yeah, what for you, I mean, for us, you know, the premise of this project is what is the relationship between music and, and sport, but also mm -hmm. starting with this assumption that there is this relationship that's mm -hmm. intricately linked. Is there for you a relationship between music and sport sort of more broadly beyond one specific musical genre? I mean, I'm, I'm a hip hop guy just in general, but you see Mariana Rivera coming out to Metallica. That, it, like, it doesn't have to be hip hop. It just, it's just something that, like, it gets people going. Music is, music is, a, is truly a universal language. I'm thinking about the time, like, when, this is, this is the moment where, like, Jay-Z, Alicia Keys, New York song is, like, everywhere. Yeah. And I went to a Yankees game um, in the Bronx, and one of the things that was, like, I got chills, and I, I hate the Yankees. Mm -hmm. But I was at this game, and they played Frank Sinatra's New York, which is, like, mm -hmm. the official song of the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. And then they went, they went to the Jay-Z, Alicia Keys, and it was, like, everyone was with it, with it. Like, people... English. Like yeah. the energy of like what it means to be represented through sport and song simultaneously in that space is like generations of people that on the subway would never even look at each other because of course people are not looking at each other on the subway. Yeah. But like mm -hmm. these people are having this communal moment that can only that only makes sense within this space. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why are these like these old white people are singing with Alicia Keys, then all these like black and brown kids are singing with mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra? Because it's like there's also that regional specificity that brings it yeah. together in a really rich way. 
Yeah, and, and, and I just, I, like, like I said, it's always been a bridge. Like, it just is what it is, music and sports. So crazy story, Rob, one of my best friends to this day, we met in college. So the first time we ever met, we, played, we was on the basketball court. We were playing rec, league, rec basketball. And he tells the story all the time. He's like, he looks at me, he sees that, you know, I'm a, I'm a heavier kid. What am I doing on the basketball court? You know, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, he turns out, I'm, it turns out to me, I'm a, I'm a real good player. I'm thinking he's just like a real showboat, showboat guy because he's got cornrows trying to be like Allen Iverson, but he actually knows how to play the game, right? So it was, there was that, that connection. We didn't really speak, right? Cool. Two weeks later, I'm, I'm, I'm in his dorm room playing spades in the, uh, in the uh, common room. And I started singing a song of a mixtape that I just grabbed the day before we got to, got to uh, campus. And I'm singing this song. And he's like, yo, you got the new camera on too? And from then on, like, it's literally like being our relationship. I've known the guy now 20 years. We've known each other. He was in my wedding. Like, that's how we got cool. So literally because of music and sports, like, I end up with a best friend out of the deal. You know what I mean? Just, just like little things like that. The, the two are just intertwined for some inexplainable reason. I, I really, there's no real like definitive reason why I can give you as to why they connect, but they just do for people, you know what I mean? I'm gonna throw another one in with music and sport that brings people together, food. Um, mm. And one of the things I love about this phrase, we call it, this phrase is ex-cons, right? Cons with two ends, represents okay. Connecticut. Folks that escaped Bristol, Connecticut, the home base of ESPN. <laughs> So, so many people we used to work with are doing amazing things across media, sport, and just society in general. One cool thing I saw recently, you were back on the court again. Um, and, you know, I think I just want to hear from your perspective, just first of all, how the Battle of the Joloff game came to be. Um, and then what that means in terms of now we're adding food into the mix of music and sport where athletes are, you know, athletes and musicians are mixing it up on the court together. Oh, man. So, uh... Give, give, give you a little background first. So there's always been this, there's always been a, like this little big brother, little brother battle between Nigeria and Ghana. Like for just for my whole life, Nigeria's always been big brother. They're just the, the, the most, I think the richest country in Africa, at least if not the, if not the richest, probably top three, top, top three richest in Africa. They've always been graded like just making money, oil, education, television, music, like African music is the, the big, the biggest Afrobeats artists are in Nigeria. They just have it always locked down. So I guess, um, you know, we're, we're, Ghana's always been little brother. I'm from Ghana for those of the, my parents are from, from Ghana. They born and born and raised in Ghana. Um, Ghana's always been like little brother. So I think um, one of the guys that puts on the Afrochella uh, festival that's in Ghana, I guess him and some guys, you know, got together and they, they wanted to put, put on a game between Ghana and Nigeria. It's just a competitive game, but you know, between two countries in the States to see what would happen. And they wanted to add the Jalof element into it to see, see who would, if they could compete with that as well. You know what I mean? So how I got involved with it was I was, a, I was a very, I was a late ad with it, but I actually heard about it months prior because I played basketball with Jadena. How did that happen? Ghana. How did that happen? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So let me, let me get it. You guys, you have time, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> we got plenty. So last August, a friend of mine, I think Courtney, Courtney, you know, TJ, TJ is a good friend of mine. TJ from, uh, from Twitter, good friend of mine. Uh, he calls me up and me and TJ work out together. We do basketball workouts together, but TJ doesn't want to play, play basketball anymore competitively because he doesn't want to get hurt, which I totally understand. You know what I mean? We're at this age right now, we, things are delicate. Walking around the office with a sprained ankle is not, the fun, not, not a fun thing. You know what I mean? So he uh, called me, he said, hey, uh, Jadena is playing, wants to play a basketball game today with OK Africa. And he said, you know, 
he wants me to play, but I don't want to play. Do you want to play? And I said, absolutely. Like, go play with, you know, celebrity. Cool. You know what I mean? So, Jenner's a really good dude. We end up playing on the same team for a couple pickup games. We were really cool. He and I end up having a nice little just, just chat in the, in, the, um, in the locker room. He took a flight. I end up going to Ghana. I run into him again at a party. And, he, and I didn't think he remembered me, but he was like, I remember you. We played basketball in New York. We got buckets together in New York. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. Like, you know what I mean? That's cool. So we end up talking. He, he actually mentioned the game to me first. Uh, I get back from uh, Ghana. I link up with TJ. We're going to do a workout. I asked TJ, did you, did you hear anything about this game going on between Ghana and Nigeria? He's like, yeah, I'm coaching the Nigeria team. And I'm like, oh, well, you got to put me on. You got you to gotta get me on the Ghana team. That's like not negotiable. Like, friends too long. You got to put me on that. You have to find a way to get, for me to get on that team. So set up a game and also set up a Jalof competition between the two best restaurants and um, the, two, the, the best Nigerian restaurant in New York and the best Ghanaian restaurant. Well, I won't say the best Ghanaian restaurant because I've had better, but one of the one of the better no disrespect no shade but one of the better um Ghanaian restaurants in um in new york and they had just a black battle jalof so it was like basically like for black history month trying to ingratiate culture and just just kind of bring africa uh to just to america and just try to try to like you know just do what we have to do for the culture so long story short nigeria did win the basketball game uh we were overmatched i did play i was honored to play in the game obviously but ghana did win the jalof which is, I, I'm, people might say that's more, that's more of a, it's a more important trophy to have than the basketball yeah. trophy. So, you yeah, know. yeah, I think that there, yeah. you know, I'm, and I'm speaking from, I'm a black girl from Texas, but mm -hmm. I think that some of it is like these dialogues, these Twitter arguments about who's is better is, is epic, right? So yeah. we might not ever remember the results of who won the game, but mm -hmm. that is a, a very strong yeah. battleground win yeah. on this longer war right yeah, indeed and and, his, his, and this is no disrespect to nigerians at all like i i just obviously just gave him the most props but they do everything great everything except cooking and that's just the guys on this street <laughs> I, I, I listen listen i have we, we can, listen we don't have all day to talk about this but i can give you i can have a I, I can make a dissertation as to why i'm telling you but you know shout out to all my nigerian brothers and sisters out there i love you all definitely you know what I mean? Yeah, do everything else great. Everything else, y'all are top level. But cooking, no. One thing about Africans is that we, we are, I, particularly, in, particularly this generation of Africans is like in power, like kind of like the mainstream Africans now. Like we want to really like give and like show people what Africa is like. Because like I would tell people like being African, being an African kid in this country was not a cool thing in the 90s. It was not. It was like, you know, ridicule, getting made fun every day. You know what I mean? Like, even things with like just just even my own self confidence when I was younger. Not even wanting, not even wanting my friends to come to my house because I thought the food stunk was was stinking. You know what I mean? I think the things like that that we all went through. But uh, just the, the evolution, like the the generation that was right above me that were here having Ghanaian kids, they've kind of made it cool and with the music, with the food. You know, it's just people that people we just love people learning about our culture in general, and with you know. As, as far as sports is concerned, who wouldn't want to see a basketball game between, you know, Nigeria and Ghana? Like, that's just, you know, it's, it, it's, the, it's the big brother, little brother thing. It's like, it's, it's, I don't want to call it New York, Boston, but, you know, there's always been this, like, strain on two cities. So why, and there's always been a strain, but not necessarily, it's been a friendly strain because whenever we're, like, we're in the World Cup, we're always rooting for each other because we're all Africa at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I think even the slogan that went, it was like, 
you know, we all won at the end of the day. Like, I know Nigeria won the game, but this is all for one Africa, you know what I mean? For the just, just, just promotion of the continent and trying to like, you know, just put it on, put, put the world on notice for what's going on. Obviously with food, basketball, and it was a, just a, like I said, a monumental time. Um, and so uh, really, really proud to be part of something that went down like that. It was the first game ever. I still have my jersey. I'm, I don't think I'm ever gonna like uh, wear it again. I think I'm actually gonna like, when I move into a house, I'm gonna put it in like a, a, like a case and just kind of have it framed because, you know, I played, I played in the first Nike game between Nigeria and Ghana, which is pretty, pretty special when you think about it. We can't wait to cover this next year um, yeah. at Sound of Victory Correspondent. Oh, you, oh, you got to come through. We got you, you got to come play through. by play in color. I'll, 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 I'll be there. Team, right? I'll be there. I got you. I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Whatever you need, I got you. No question. All right. All right. <laughs> um, I think, wait, first of all, I, well, one more question, just because you have this insight. Is Jadena really a good basketball player? Solid player. Solid player. He can play. Is that, is that enough? I mean, <laughs> well, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, and, yeah, and I'm play. speaking from, I've seen y'all play basketball a lot. And that just comes from at ESPN, there were these rec leagues um, for football, basketball, different mm -hmm. sports. And y'all was on one of the most competitive basketball teams. Uh, these, this was shut down lunch. So they went to the cafeteria <laughs> at ESPN and it opened out. You're laughing because like you're seeing it right now. But like it opened out to this, this outdoor basketball court. And you know, it's, it snows for like six months in Connecticut. So it's like, you are really trying to harness that spring, summer action, like fall before it gets too cold. And so I just remember people with like, it was like scheduled viewing. You're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Who's playing? What teams are playing? And I'll say this, like, I feel like Team Ghana is really wrapping between like you and Kofi. It's like, they're like two of like the most athletic, like people that are the most serious on the court. Like this is not a game. And I feel like, you know, Kofi, Kofi was more so like football was like, I feel like where he was really yeah. doing the thing. Yeah. But I feel like you were the person who was like, ah, oh, y'all's team's about to play today. Like everyone's like, oh, I'm taking lunch at yeah. that time. Yeah, like, yeah. It was, it, it was, it, I, not for nothing. I, I look back, it, it was a little bit of an event. I, I'm not going to lie. Like people used to get really hyped up because, you know, it's, the game's right around lunchtime. So the calf is packed and a lot of people have to walk through the basketball court to get to the office. So it's like, I might as well stop and check in it on a basketball game or kind of, kind of competitive game while I eat my lunch. You know what I mean? So it was definitely a high level hoops being played out there. And, uh, you know, you had, to, you, had to, you had to bring it. People were watching. You know, fast forward and we are now in a very different context where that's not possible, <laughs> right? Because of quarantine, because we are now in the midst of a pandemic, which has changed some of those realities in terms of mm -hmm. how we connect, right? It hasn't changed that we can connect, but it's changed sort of the modalities through which um, we make those connections. So we're curious about how in this moment of COVID-19, in the midst of a pandemic, how you're thinking about, if you're thinking about this relationship between music and sport differently. Um, and just to give you some background, I mean, we've thought about stadiums, for example, which, you know, with these big jumbotrons, they've thought about now, okay, maybe when the NBA is back in session, we just won't have audience members, right? But it's like the sort of the entertainment, the musical, soundtrack that goes along with that may still be present. So thinking about, you know, when they're asking people to, to shout along and there's not an audience there to participate, mm -hmm. for example. So are you thinking about that at all in this sort of moment I, of self-isolation? So not, not, not to be all premonitory here, but I actually thought about this before all this actually happened. I actually just thought about like, yo, what if it was a world without sports? And like, here we are in the reality of it. I'll give you an example as to what, what, what I was thinking about. There was a, there was a strike for the uh, Major League Baseball had a strike 
the players had a strike in 94. They came back the next year, a little later on the next year, but they skipped. They didn't have a World Series. They didn't have um, a playoff, anything. And I just remember it re- being really tough for fans to get back on board with baseball, right? And that was, that was a different dynamic because of people thinking the players or the owners being too greedy. Now that we've been forced out, like, are people going to want to even watch baseball anymore? People going to want to watch basketball anymore? Uh, how does it affect going to games? People are going to be a little scared. So tell you a quick story, but right before, you know, we started having, giving, having lockdown, the Big East tournament, I had looked on, online for, to get tickets and they were $35. And I was like, oh man, $35 for Big East tournament. Like, so I went on Twitter and I said, yo, does anybody want to go with me to the Big East tournament? I know my wife was working. I knew she, she was, wasn't going to be able to go. And then my homie Prince says, hey, listen, you just sit at home. This Corona thing is real. Right. And I was just like, ah, whatever. But then I started thinking about it. And I was like, why would tickets be $35? You know what I mean? It, it had to be something. And then like down the line, it came, it, it came back. There was so, so like, there's, there's all this like possibility with just an indefinite time as to when it's going to end. Like, are we going to have football season this year? Like, I know football is the last football in September and how long before we get them back. And are people even going to want to dedicate themselves to sports at all after this because are you going to want to go to the building are you want to going to shake hands are you going to want to even play basketball with each other like i'm dying to go outside and play basketball i can't people have have done it which is crazy to stay home but i'm dying to play i i know that but it's good depending upon how how long this lasts people might just say you know what uh i like my health you know what i mean we'll see but it's a crazy time we're living in so i'm not sure how how for, for me I'm just trying to stay prepared for, for any, like, if it does come, like, been working on little just sports rhymes in case somebody needs, <laughs> might need something when this all, you know, comes back, or if, if it comes back, working on little sports rhymes with ideas for things about award winners for coming up for the NBA year, football season coming up. I always, I always jot down little things throughout whenever that comes to mind just to make sure I keep them on deck in case they would say, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. You know what I mean? So we will see going forth. Like I said, I'm just trying to stay prepared for whatever happens and, you know, hopefully soon everybody just stays home, particularly in this city, <laughs> we can uh, we can move forward and get back to some type of regularity in life. You know, one of the things I, I completely feel you on that, there's a mixture of like, we're so hungry for, you know, some of it is like, I have no sense of time right now. March just felt like six months long to me <laughs> um, because because there was no March madness. So I kept yeah. forgetting it was March, right? Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, that absence is like some of it is the return to normalcy for some some of us will be the return of sport or the ability to go to a concert there's very few feelings that can even get close to comparing to being one of those general admission tight venues where everyone's like standing room only to see somebody you know there's just so there's so many artists that that is their space that's their Mm -hmm. jam that's their Mm -hmm. venue you know, I really respect all the artists that are doing concerts from their living rooms or DJs that are doing sets, um, you know, in their bedroom. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something about that communal part. And even if we have this digital kind of space, we're on Zoom, we can vibe together. Mm-hmm. But there is this unforgettable feeling of watching a buzzer beater in an arena. There's something sure. unforgettable about seeing one of your favorite musical artists mm-hmm. in person. And so I think for me, that's when I will feel most normal. But will I ever feel normal? Will I ever not? Like, someone coughs behind me, right? And I'm at the and, and, that, and, and that's the thing you got to consider. Like, just the, 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 the 
the whole six feet and social distancing thing. Like, will we be social distance forever? I, speaking of concerts, so I went uh, two, three, three or four years ago, I went to a Jay-Z concert at uh, Terminal 5. And he was doing a B-Sides concert. And for those who aren't familiar with B-Sides, B-Sides are basically all the songs that don't really come out on the radio. They're not the singles and videos, but they're kind of like the, the real deep cuts that he was doing a concert full of, full of those records. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, yo, I better not be sitting next to nobody who doesn't know the lyrics to these songs. Because I was ready, you know what I mean? Just so happens the dude I was sitting next to, he and I, I mean, we're high-fiving, hugging, singing lyrics back. To, I never met the guy a day in my life. Don't even know this guy from, from Adam. But we are going back and forth, slapping high-five, sweating, you know, whole nine. Now I'm thinking to myself, damn, will I ever get a moment like that again? You know what I mean? Like, I had two concerts I was supposed to go to this in, in April and in, in, in May. I was supposed to go to a Snow Allegra concert, which, you know, I love Snow Eleven. I was supposed to go to a little, a little Brother reunion concert. And now, because of, you know, Corona, I, they've, been, they've both been canceled. So how is it going to be going forward? You know what I mean? Like, are you going to space out? Are you, are you going to space out seats in, in these general admission places? Are you going to even offer general admission anymore? You know what I mean? Like, you got to think about these things. So it's, uh, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances we have faced. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll push through, I'm sure. How do you think about this as an artist, though, on the flip side, right? I mean, it's, here's the thing. Like, as an artist, me and me, I'm no, by no means, like, I'm not out there like that as far as, like, a, a, a big name like that. But even for me to go, go out and, like, want to go do, like, a, an open mic or, like, a freestyle or to put, put together a small show, I can't do right now. I can only imagine what people are doing, like, um, who, who rely on shows to get income. You know what I mean? Like, the uh the big artists who who don't really sell like that but can still go to an arena or go to a a a, a theater and, and sell five thousand tickets and you know and, and pay pay their rent and do what they have to do for their family you know what I mean I worry about those guys for me the flip side of that is I have a lot of time to work on my craft you know what I mean like I sit here I listen to beats I write little things here and there my, I might not write a verse a day or I might not write like a song a day but I'm piecing together ideas the whole day. Just like whenever I hear them, I sit there and listen to beats. I spend, a, I spend at least an hour or two just listening to beats the whole day. Just, you know, whatever happens, either instrumentals, old songs that I've done that I can reference things from, songs that haven't come out. I, I, spend, I spend two hours a day probably working on my music, just minimum. It could be eight, it could be 12. You know what I mean? Depending upon how I'm feeling for the day. You know what I mean? So I do have the time now. And kind of like, so I, like I said, I was went to... um a little cottage with my wife and I just had I had a, a view of the water and I kind of sat in front of the water in the in-house and I was just like banging out verses and banging out lines you know what I mean so it's been good to have that space but in order to in order to really make like really make money or like even promotion music you got to be out there you got the music has, has to touch people literally you have to touch people with your music so um like I said hopefully at some point we can get back to some type of normalcy here well, I hope that you're taking care, um, maintaining distance. Um, of and I think that, that you're thinking about it in the most positive way in terms of a, a time, you know, I feel like we're, we're also going to see rejuvenation for a lot of folks that are going to put out albums in the next yeah. year because they have a studio yeah. at their house. I'm talking to you, Beyonce and Rihanna specifically. Riri, um, come on, Riri. <laughs> come on, Riri. Please. Rihanna, come on. We need an album, Riri. Um, but I'm speaking about all artists. This could be yeah. a, a time of creative rejuvenation, but it's also a time where we have to reassess a lot of a lot of the things that we've considered status quo for so long. Um, mm -hmm. I want to thank you for joining us remotely. 
um, at The Sound of Victory. You can hear more from Yao G's at at Yao G's Music on Instagram, Twitter, and everywhere that you listen to music on the streams. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the look. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on Sounding Off. For more, check us out online at thesoundofvictory.org or on Instagram at thesoundofvictory.